reading is from Colossians 1, 9-12. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will, and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. We pray that you'll live well for the Master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory, strength God gives. It is strength that endures the endurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. Thanks, Dana. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians. We'll keep coming back into Colossians throughout the afternoon together. But um, I think it's safe to say that at some level or another, each of us desires Paul and his friends' prayer not only to be prayed for us, but um, to be answered, right? Like the prayer that, that Dana just prayed for us, right? That we all long for that to have been prayed for us. We, in fact, many of us I know have prayed that prayer for others, prayed that prayer for ourselves. Uh, we... We want to be ones who, in um, a lot of ways, are ones who are called into life, who live well for the Master, who do our work well, who learn how to do our work well, who know what the will of the Lord is, and, um, and are attuned to what He desires. Again, I think it's safe to say that this is what kind of draws a lot of us into a place like this. Um, I can attest that, honestly, by knowing most of you, that the letter of your own lives testify that you desire these things, right? I know if, if you're like me, like you, when you hear like a desire to do the will of the Lord, to be attuned to His Spirit, to um, to make the Lord proud, like if if you're like me at all, like like you you may kind of question if that's really true of you, right? I mean, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're you're kind of confident in, in where you're at, which is great. Um, but if you're at all like me, like when I hear like like somebody who desires for me to know the Lord's will and to do the Lord's will, and that I want to do the Lord's will and desire to do the Lord's will, I also know my heart's kind of broken a little bit and twisted, right? That while that's true sometimes, it doesn't feel true all the time, right? And so like, but I know that like, I know you and I know that this is what you actually long for. And so even if you don't feel like you long for it, like having known you, some of you for years and some of you even just a little bit, like... I can say that the letter that's been written on your, on your hearts by Jesus seems to be a letter that is after the Lord's heart. Like this is things that the Lord has for you are what, he, what, what you're after is really what the Lord longs for you. That you might take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for you. And, you know, we, we pray this prayer. We long for this prayer's answer in faith, right? In faith, this prayer, we believe it. We believe it will be answered, for that is what faith really is, right? That faith is this aptitude to grasp a hold of what is often unseen. This, this something that seems outside of ourselves, more than ourselves. We've talked about it before, but Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance, that is the entitlement of things hoped for, the conviction, an inner proof, an inner voice, an inner uh, affirmation of things not seen. And living in faith is to hold on to what is often let go of, overlooked and dismissed in the darkened shadows of our own sin and selfishness, in the slavery that we have to systems and things in this world. And that is the very presence of God in us, through us, and for His creation and His people that includes us. 
By faith we lay hold of the truth which the psalmist of Psalm 139 has described for us, that you have searched me and known me. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully set apart. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Don't we all long for that? For our souls to know that very well? To know that God knows us and loves us. Yes, but not just knows us and loves us, but has formed us, made us, called us and set us apart for something. For something. Like made us competent for something. Made us special for something. Gave us something to play and to do in a way to contribute. It's something more grand than us. How wonderful would it be for our souls to rest in such a place? Faith tells us that God desires this wholeness, this salvation for all, right? So that's what he does. That, that God desires all persons to be saved by this knowledge that he knows us, that he loves us, that he's formed us, that he's for us and not against us. To discover who we truly are in relation to him and to live out that soul-satisfying fulfillment in our discovery and the love of others and God himself. Yet faith must be completed by the hope that God wills me to be saved. Not just a general salvation, not just in the faith that this is what God does, but the hope that this is what God is doing in me. That God is knowing me, loving me, calling me, setting me apart, forming me. And then faith must be completed by the hope that God wills me to be saved and by the love that responds to his desire and seals my hope with faith's conviction. If those three terms, faith, hope, and love, sound familiar, you might be familiar with how Paul uses them to describe these virtues as necessary for our now um, maturation into our salvation. He says, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. What have we been talking about the last few weeks, right? Being fully known. That we are fully known, and someday we'll know fully all that's fully known. We'll know fully about God. We'll know fully about ourselves. But there's something that we're not quite there yet, right? There's things that keep us from seeing ourselves truly as we are, seeing God truly as he is, knowing our place fully and confidently. And we all experience that. If, if just even a few minutes ago when I said, hey, like, you, I know that you desire to do the will of God, and you felt a flinch, well, that's seen dimly, right? Like, you know that there's something that keeps you from always seeing the world that clearly, who you are and what God has for you, right? Like, we know that. And so what do we do now? Paul says, now, since now we see in part, and now we only know dimly, even though someday we'll know fully, so now then we have faith and hope and love. These three abide. Faith begins and focuses our journey to the place we desire, to the face-to-face of life with God. That's what faith tells us, right? Faith tells us that we are made for life with God. The psalmist in Psalm 27, if you remember a few weeks ago, said, I'm asking God for one thing and only one thing, to live with him in his house my whole life long. I'll contemplate his beauty. I'll meditate at his feet. That's the only quiet and secure place in a noisy world. The perfect getaway far from the buzz of traffic. God holds my head, me head and shoulders above all who try to pull me down. I'm headed for his place to offer anthems of joy that will raise the roof. 
Faith tells us this is where we're going and this is what, what we're after. To be in face to face with Him. To know Him. To find the quiet and secure place in a noisy world. That God is the one who holds us head and shoulders above all that might pull us away from that place. And that our life of faith is actually a journey towards this place. And while faith gets us started on this, right? Faith gets us started in believing that this is what God wants for us. Believing that our life in its wholeness and holiness is through Him, is Him, is life with Him. While that keeps us focused, it's hope that actually moves us forward and keeps us reaching for the thing for which our faith has entitled us, has assured for us. Historically, faith is a vir- or hope is a virtue. It's not like a wishful thing. It's not something that we do. You just, you know, hope you're doing well today or like hope you have a good day kind of, kind of thing. It's actually this, this animating force, a character trait of one who strives to do and to see what is desired, promised, and possible actually lived out. It's an animating force that propels, compels the one who longs for something promised, purposed, like possible in the future to go and grab it and to make it theirs. Hope was the motivating force of faith, of enduring commitment, the pursuit of something that would only come later. And so it is hope as the force of faith that makes all the truths that are presented in the world as abstract and impersonal. All the things that sometimes we kind of get lost in in the Christian, in our kind of our Christianese and our Christian uh, kind of bubble. All the things that we sing, that we, that we sing in faith, but, but maybe don't necessarily quite move into life. It takes all these impersonal ways of uh, become for us very personal and intimate. What I believe by faith, contends Thomas Burton, what I understand by the habit of study and devotion to God, I possess and make my own by hope. By hope, we lay hands on the substance of what we believe. And by hope, we possess the substance of the promise of God's love. Faith, we believe it. Hope, we make it ours. By faith, we believe and confess that it's true. By hope, we live into that truth. We go and do the things necessary to see what we hope for in fruition. Jesus, contends Burton, is the theology of the Father. We look at Jesus to know God. Faith tells us that this knowledge of God is accessible to all men, to all persons. But hope tells me that he loves me enough to give himself to me. Faith tells me that it's possible for all of us to love God and to know God through Jesus. Hope tells me that God loves me. That he died for me. If I do not hope in his love for me, I'll never really know Jesus, says Merton. I hear of Jesus by faith, but I do not achieve the contact that knows him and thereby knows the Father in him until my faith in him is completed by hope and love. Hope that grasps his love for me and the self-giving love that pays him the return of love I owe. I hear of Jesus by faith. I, I hear of this life of knowing who I am fully and truly, wholly and completely, of living that life in its fruition for the love and the sake of others and for God, but only unless I hope do I actually achieve the contact that knows Him. 
Hope animates our faith. Hope compels us to reach out to achieve the contact that knows the one who knows us. Hope, as Chris Holkamp, I think unintentionally, but, but still reminded me this week, encourages and empowers our emotions, attitudes, and actions, our efforts and works to grab hold of what we have, faith, have in faith, our own salvation in Jesus, and faith in that God is at work within us for his good purposes. Chris told me this week, uh, just through, through, through a text message, of what he, he is hoping that what he knows in his heart and mind will be seen in the way that he acts and lives. Right? He believes what is true of him and what is true of what God says is true of him. But in hope, he grabs hold of those things to work out his salvation. Because it's God who's at work within him. So hope drives us to live by faith. Hope moves our faith into action to reach for the joy of the union, which our faith tells us is ours in Jesus. God's glory revealed in ourselves and others. Or as the Apostle Paul says, that Christ in you, the hope of glory. What drives our hope, what, 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 what the hope that drives us forward is not just simply a hope of um, a better life or even a life of um, satisfaction uh, or even a life of goodness, really, but is a hope of glory. The thing that drives us forward in our faith is a hope of glory. Now, glory is an interesting word. It's a word in Christian lore that, it's that if it's associated with anyone other than God, is off limits for most of us, right? And if you've grown up in the church at all or, or maybe been around the church a little bit even, like you kind of understand like this idea of glory um, is somewhat ethereal and that it's kind of out there. It's like shiny things. Is it shiny? Like what is it? Like no one ever talks and defines it completely fully. But then there's, the other, there's this other side of it, right? It's like, well, it's God's glory, and we do everything for God's glory, and God's glory, and God's glory, and God's glory. And so to seek glory ourselves and for ourselves feels like a wrong thing, right? And maybe, maybe hopefully if you've been around Christ City for a while, that, that isn't necessarily what you think and feel. But like growing up, like that was kind of an idea. Like there was this glory over here that was not meant to be ours, and so therefore we shouldn't seek it. And if I was seeking my own glory, then that meant I wasn't seeking God's glory. And those two things were a combative idea. And again, maybe that's not true of you, but, but at some level, most likely most of us either have never thought about glory to much extent, or we kind of think of it in this kind of off-limits kind of term, this combating glory, competing glories. But, but Paul tells us that glory is the very thing for which we're to hope for. The thing which animates, encourages, and empowers our emotions, attitudes, and actions, our efforts and work for faith to come into life. It's the glory, that, the, glory um, the hope of glory that animates that. But we hope not just for any glory, but rather a glory that's shared with us. We sang it just a minute ago. But this is what it says in 2 Thessalonians. God called you to salvation when we told you the good news, when we told you the gospel. When the gospel came to you in faith, right? In faith, when you heard the good news that God is for you and not against you, right? That, that made you cling to something. And God called you to this salvation when we told you the good news. Now you can share in the glory of your Lord Jesus Christ. The glory that we're called to isn't a glory just of our own. It's a glory that's shared with us. It's Christ's glory. And what is Jesus' glory? What is Jesus' glory? 
John tells us in the beginning of his gospel, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen what? His glory. Glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory of Jesus is the glory of a child who is known, who is loved. And whose very existence, even before the thing he came to accomplish was accomplished, pleases the Father. You know how we know this? Because what, what happens at the beginning of Jesus' ministry? He steps into the water, and then this happens. Jesus went up from the water, the baptism waters, and behold, the heavens were opened to Jesus, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Not before, not, not, Jesus hasn't done the miracles yet, and there's no miracles at this point. He hasn't called the disciples yet. There's no disciples, not, not the 12 anyway, the apostles yet at this point. There's, there's no, like, thousands of people fed. There's no death on a cross and resurrection yet. Jesus' glory, the glory that Jesus has, is the, lack of a better word, the praise, the accolade of the Father, of a father for a son, an affection for a father who is pleased with his son because he knows his son is competent, called. His son is with him, and he is with his son. That's the glory that Jesus has and the glory that Jesus shares with us. Pretty incredible thing, right? We understand like why glory then becomes one of the central themes of the New Testament even if it feels like this ethereal thing in the, in the way we talk about it and read it. Like all through Paul's letters, he uses the term glory, 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 all over it. And it's not just God's glory, but it's our glory, that we're made for glory. We're made to share in the glory as God's children, his beloved, his ones whom, whom he delights in, simply because we are his. We do things like the prayer of examine that we started the last couple weeks because what is Jesus's has been shared with us. Listen, as we get into, especially the prayer of examine, there is a tendency in our own flesh to use these tools and resources of our faith, these practices of our faith, to try to get something that we feel like it's not ours. And if that's our motivation, then we're off from the get-go. What we discover in the examine, what we get to share in, in the examine, what we get to experience in like things like the examine is not something that's unknown. It's something that's always been, that's already true. that we too are children known, loved, and whose very existence pleases our Father. We are possessed by the hope for glory, the hope of glory that animates our daily living because it is what our faith has assured us in is ours in Jesus. That God's praise and pleasure, His will, His ways, His pride, everything bright and beautiful, of his for us is already ours in Jesus because Christ is in us. 
And so listen, we're kind of easing our way into the examine, but if we, if, if we kind of step aside, if we try to just go into this prayer of, of trying to letting the Lord search our hearts without this basic understanding of what our glory is, what we hope for, what it is the thing that we're trying to put action into to cling hold of, then we're going to miss the very thing that we're after. And if this sounds kind of strange to you, if, if, if the glory that we're after is God's, God's pleasing thing, this thing that pleases God is pleasure in us, this accolade and affirmation of God, well, you're not alone. Um, such a hope of a life lived well for our master, a life in which we are known, loved, in which we please the Father because he's delighting in us and we're living in a way that, that measures up to what is already true, that he delights in us. Not earning his delight in us, but living in step with his delight in us. Living as if he does delight in us and doing the things that we know delights him because he delights in us. If that is weighty, well then, you're right, it is. C.S. Lewis thought it was so. But that's exactly what we are fearfully set apart for. To experience a life lived well for, um, for our master. His pride, his affirmation of us. Here's what C.S. Lewis said. He said, when I began to look into this matter of glory, I was shocked to find such different Christians as Milton, Johnson, and Thomas Aquinas taking heavenly glory, quite frankly, in the sense of fame or good rapport. But not fame conferred by my fellow creatures. Fame with God. Approval, or might I say, appreciation by God. The glory is... God's appreciation, God's approval. And then when I thought it over, I saw that this view was scriptural. Because at first, he's a little off-put by it, right? He's kind of just like, wow, this is not what I thought glory was. Nothing can eliminate from the parable in Luke 19 the divine accolade, well done, thou good and faithful servant. With that, a good deal of what I had been thinking all my life fell down like a house of cards. I suddenly remembered that no one can enter heaven except a child. And nothing is so obvious in a child, not in a conceited child, but in a good child, as its great and undisguised pleasure in being praised. What do all of our kids want as parents? Our praise, our accolade, our glory. That's what our kids want. That's what we want. That's not an arrogant thing. It's a holy thing. It's a natural thing. It's a good thing. Apparently, what I had mistaken for humility had all these years prevented me from understanding what is in fact the humblest, the most childlike, the most creaturely of pleasures. Nay, the specific pleasure of the inferior, the poor, whom Jesus came to declare freedom to. The pleasure of a child before its father, a pupil before its teacher, a creature before its creator. The satisfaction of having pleased those rightly loved and rightly feared as pure. And that is enough to raise our thoughts to what may happen when the redeemed soul beyond all hope, in what Paul says when we can see face to face, beyond all hope and nearly beyond belief, when knowing fully and fully known learns at last that she has pleased him who she was created to please. 
For glory meant good rapport with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement, and welcome into the heart of things, because isn't that what Jesus has? The door which we've been knocking all of our lives, the thing that which we long for all of our lives, to be led into the inside of who God is and what God is doing, of what he knows of us, what he knows for us, the salvation we learn for, yearn for, open at last. In the truest index of our real situation, that, I believe, says Lewis, is what lies before us. That's what we hope for. The whole person is to drink in the joy and the fountain of joy, from the fountain of joy, the glorifier and the glorified. Listen, the prayer of examine is meant to help us keep to the truest index of our real situation. It's not a tool to be used to, 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 again, to build up something to a place where now we can launch off into something, where we can, if we just get this right, if we could just figure this thing out, if we could just have all this kind of line up, then we'll be able to, to have something. No, this is meant to help us be aware of what is absolutely, fundamentally the truest reality of our lives. The good news. That God is for us. And not just for us generally, but for me. In me. Animating me for the very things that he desires for me. The rich mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. What a realization our souls would be at rest to know that we're known loved and competent for our calling, that we are indeed pleasing. If any other energy less than the hope of sharing Jesus' glory drives us to such efforts, again, we'll find ourselves missing the very thing we're after and the thing that is already ours in faith. So focused by faith and moved by the force of hope, we place ourselves under the loving, welcoming eye of the one who knows us in Jesus so that they might be led to his glory revealed in ourselves and others. That's why we practice the examine. And that's what we'll do today. So here's what we're going to do for the next few moments. Once again, we're, we're talking about this kind of old practice. Um, it's the prayer of examine. It, while it was based off of Psalm 139, uh, which we, be, we jumped into a little bit last week, and we'll continue to come back around to, the actual kind of movement of the examine was uh, formally developed by a guy named Ignatius Loyola in the 1500s. And it was developed as a prayerful reflection on a person's experience with Jesus over a specific period of time. So the idea of the prayer of examine, real simple, is that it's an opportunity, whether you do it on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, um, or maybe in some sort of thing, kind of even like we did a little bit last week, where we kind of looked at um, just a general memory, like like a time in which we recognize God's, God's presence with us and for us. But it's usually kind of a set amount of time in which we look back over that period of time and how we experience Jesus, God with us, God for us, and how we responded to Jesus with us and for us. The simple goal of the examine is to increase awareness and attentiveness to the presence of God in our life. Because again, we're not trying to earn something. We're not trying to figure something out. We're not trying to put a piece, pieces together. What we're trying to do is live attuned to the thing that is true, to grab hold and hope of the thing that we have faith in. 
that God knows us, that he loves us, that he set us apart to be pleasing and delightful to him. They were actually made to be everything that he desires us to be. How incredible is that, right? That's what we long for. That's what we're after, right? And so, generally speaking, the, the prayer has kind of two sides. It has a side in which we go into and we, we look at kind of our, our week, our day, and we try to notice where we recognize Jesus and how we responded positively to the presence of Jesus with us. And then there's a kind of a flip side to it. It's the same side of the, the coin. But we, we ask the Spirit to search us again. We're asking the Spirit, if you remember, like, who examines? We don't examine. We're not examining our lives. We're at, like, the prayer in Psalm 139, 23, and 24 is, Lord, examine me. You, God, do the examination. So we're asking the Spirit to examine us, to help us see where we, we saw well, and how we responded in those times where we were, we were recognized as presence. But also, how do we respond poorly? When were there times where we just missed the Spirit with us? Or times where we actually actually recognize, maybe felt a, a, a nudge to do something, be something, believe something, but decided not to do it. We recognize his spirit in a way, but responded in, in, in a not positive fashion. Again, not in the idea of condemnation, but like in the idea that Paul prayed for us in Colossians, right? That, that, like, that we are able to figure out and attune ourselves to what God is doing, how God is working, so that we don't miss it the next time the Spirit speaks to us and leads us into something, right? Because we already, have, we already know it's true, like, right? That, like, that Christ died for our sins. So I'm not trying to figure these things out so I can get my sins right, so God can, can look on me with favor, so therefore I can then do what God wants me to do. It's like, no, 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 like, that's, that's a mechanical way of looking at it. It's not... It's kind of the reverse of that. It's saying I'm looking at the places that I miss because I know that I miss things, but I know that I don't have to miss things. And sometimes there are going to be weights, things that we're just doing, habits, things that we're doing that are just out of step, that, are, that don't balance out to what God, the rhythms of, of how God moves life. Sometimes it's going to be sins, right? Things where we're actively in rebellion trying to do something that's different than what God wants for us. And we'll talk about more of that in next week. But there's these two movements, and this is what the prayer of examine is. You start with, Lord, search my heart. Help me see where I saw you this week and where I responded to you well this week or this day. Lord, search my heart. See where I responded not so well to you this week, where I missed what you were saying or decided to not do what I was being prompted to do in your spirit. And then we give, you give in the, in the exam and you give the day to the Lord, what was his, and you ask in faith with hope that tomorrow you'll live in a way that you recognize his awareness, his presence, and respond with joy. And so the reason that like today that we're going to do this with pen and paper, you don't have to do this every time you do it with pen and paper, but I think it's good often to do it with pen and paper. It's because Annie, um, Annie Dillard talks about this, this reality of the importance of writing or verbalizing um, where and when we're aware of God. She says that seeing is, of course, very much a matter of verbalization. But we don't think about it a lot. But part of the reason we miss God sometimes is because we never talk about it. Like sometimes we, we don't, 
Like we see things all the time, but because we never talk about those things, we actually, our minds just don't process it. So like until I start talking about all the different birds in my backyard, like they're there every single day, all the time. But until I start talking about them with our kids, I don't notice them. Not really. I see them. I'm kind of aware of them. I know that they're there, but I don't know that it's this, this one fluffy gray bird is the bully of all the other birds. Because I've sat and I've noticed, and we've talked about it. Like, look at that bird that's bullying all the other birds. So like, man, we got to do something about the, the bully bird, right? And he's like, oh, man, there's like 13 different types of birds, right? Like, we just, we just don't notice those things. She says, so Dillard says this. She says, seen is, of course, very much a matter of verbalization. Unless I call my attention to what passes before my eyes, I simply won't see it. And that's what writing down where you saw God, where you recognize God with you, and even what I was doing and what is happening when I didn't recognize God or I failed to respond to God in a positive way is just as important. It lets us see our hearts, right? Which is what we're after in the examine to see what God sees of us, right? To help him, to allow ourselves to be attuned with who we are in him and how we're living our life in him. So we're, what we're going to do this afternoon is just practice that. We're just going to practice listening to and kind of examining our week in relationship to Jesus, right? Does everybody have a pen and paper? Sweet. Stephen's got one, so we're good. And, uh, all right. So, it's always helpful for me to just take a deep breath and kind of take a deep breath in as we kind of enter into this, something like this, right? Like, there's nothing, this isn't like some sort of, like, mystical thing. This is just the reality that, like, my heart and mind go a thousand miles an hour just by na- my nature. And so, especially after lots of coffee. And so I need to be quiet in order to listen because I want to talk. So if you would, just take a deep breath with me. Fill your lungs. And as your lungs fill, imagine that you're breathing in the Spirit of God. And every time you exhale, imagine your life being lived gloriously. Because what fills you, what's in you, is the hope of glory. Breathe in a deep breath, the Spirit of God. Breathe out a life gloriously known, loved, and pleasing to God. And in this kind of state of, of, of being, just ask the Holy Spirit to guide you as you review the events of your week. Quietly, right now, just ask. I won't do it for you. You just ask. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to review the events of your week. If it's helpful, you can imagine yourself streaming your week on fast forward with Jesus, sitting right there with you, like, hey, like, let's just kind of take a take a quick quick uh, little look through this. But let the Spirit guide you in it. You don't have to go through every single detail, but ask the Spirit to bring to mind what you need to see this from the from the week past. Let Jesus stop the episodes at any part of the week that he wants. And then as Jesus stops the scenes flashing by, we're going to do two different things, but we're going to do one of them at a time. And this is going to be up on the screen so you can see it if, you get, if your mind kind of gets wondering. 
the first time through with Jesus, notice the times when you are aware of God's presence. When you felt you were moving toward God in behavior, in attitude, in emotions, in actions. How did you feel when you were open and responsive to God's guidance? And then, write those things down and give thanks to God for them. Okay? We're going to have about five minutes to do that, and then we'll move into the second side of the examine. Any questions? All right, so hopefully you, you had a little bit of time to do that. Maybe you had a few things, a few instances to write down. Some, some, um, sometimes when you recognize God with you this week, um, usually in the prayer of examine, um, at least how it's been practiced in a lot of uh, more um, monastic kind of settings, like usually this is not more than like a 15-minute practice. Like this isn't something that you spend hours and hours doing. Obviously, you could do, you spend more time, Part of it is because they try to do it more regularly. So the more often you do it, the less time you have to spend in, in it, right? But the idea, again, is not trying to analyze yourself and analyze what's going on in your life, but simply to recognize awareness, to see where your heart's at, to see where you're at in the presence of God, right? God with you. And so as we kind of transition into the, the second half, um, same kind of idea. Take a deep breath. Breathe in, the Spirit of God with you. God's Spirit is here with you. God's Spirit is in you. Jesus would say to his disciples, already you are clean by the words that I spoke to you. And so breathe in the Spirit of God and breathe out. Again, imagine a life lived gloriously, known, loved, and pleasing. And this time, as you ask the Holy Spirit to show you, as you review the week with Jesus, the times when you weren't aware of God's presence. You might not even be aware of it, right? That's why we're asking the Holy Spirit. Like, it might not even, you might have just completely missed it. This happens to me all the time. At the end of the day, I'll be thinking back through the day, and it's like, oh man, I wish I'd taken advantage of this moment. Just to say something, to speak something, to text somebody something, to pray something. Like, where it's like, oh, I, like you were there, you were working in that. To, to remember something, and I just kind of missed it. Oh, Lord, help me not to miss that tomorrow kind of thing, right? So where you're not aware. But help you notice when you felt like you were moving, also not just in aware of God's presence, but where you felt like you were moving away from God. Again, this happens to me almost every day, right? Usually in interactions with people <laughs> and somehow, in relationships with people, where it felt like I'm moving away from what God wants me to do and respond and how he wants me to act in relation to somebody. I mean, again, there could be opportunities. It could be all kinds of things. But where you felt like, man, I know the Spirit's tugging me a little bit right here. I just feel like if I just said this one thing or prayed this one thing or did this one thing or didn't do this one thing, but then I just I do it anyway or I don't do it at all, right? And like, I kind of recognize it a little bit. And so I know that there's a conscious kind of movement away from that leaning, that guiding. So I ask the Lord to show you where those times happen. And then... Pray with Paul in faith to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. And again, worthy means in balance, up to balance with what is already true. 
what the Lord shares with you, the glory of the Lord, the calling He's given you, who you actually are. So I'm not asking you to write down all these things, right? If you feel prompted to write some of these down, that's okay. But I might ask the Lord, why, you felt, why do I feel prompted to write some of these down? But it, you do have to call your attention to them, right? To see them. And so I'll give you a few minutes to do that, and then we'll do the one last part before we finish and conclude with worship. So in the, the prayer of examine, there's these two sides. There's a side of recognizing and um, really just being led into awareness of God with us, of being revealed um, where we've missed or are off. Um, and then the, you know, the recognizing we praise and in the revelation we confess that we want glory. We want something else other than being off, right? And then after this kind of moment of, of examination where we ask the Lord to search us, to, to know us, to examine us and to, to, to see and show our disquieting thoughts, to, um, to see if there's any grievous way in us, as the psalmist would say in Psalm 139. Then, like the psalmist, we ask, and only then do we ask, Lord, what would you have me do? Lead me. Lead me in your way, ancient and everlasting. So the last and final movement of the prayer of examine is that you just ask in reflection to what God's been telling you, what the Spirit's been leading you, you write down where you need to go in the coming week. Where He is inviting your openness, where He is directing your steps, maybe in a different direction, maybe towards somebody, maybe away from things. And then you write out your prayer. What is your prayer for the week? We've read Paul's prayer for us, a prayer that we share, that we pray for others, but what is your prayer that God's leading you into for this week? So I'll give you about two minutes to do that in this kind of final movement, and then when you hear Chaz playing, you'll know it's kind of time to move into worship, okay? Okay.